I'm going to church every week and I'm doing all of the things church wise, but I'm not loving. I'm not, I'm not living a life that's loving, um, whether that's feeling or offering love or both, then something's off with my belief something's wrong because if Jesus is our perfect example and he lived radically loving yes the outcast the least of these right if that's not coming out in my life then something's wrong I don't care how right theology is if I'm not loving something's wrong Welcome back, listeners, to the Grit Podcast, Getting Real, Immersed in Truth, intersecting hard conversations with the gospel. We seek and speak the truth about what's going on around us. I'm your host, Rebrina Rettel, and we're continuing our series on self-care today. We're talking about the emotional and spiritual aspect, or soul care. As we've mentioned in previous episodes, 2020 has brought difficulties and challenges at a rapid pace and in a consistent manner. It seems like events continue to overwhelm us. Many of us have experienced quite a bit of loss, uncertainty, and financial hardship. These experiences may lead us to wonder, why? Why am I going through this? We may ask, does God see us? Does he hear us? Some of us sit in the truth that God is sovereign, while others may experience anger and frustration towards God. And you know what? That's okay. The stress many of us are under has caused emotional pains and heartache. How do we process our roller coaster of emotions right now and move toward the promise of hope? We'll explore these things and more while getting real, immersed in truth. Today, my guest is Patria Rector. She is a counselor and certified professional life coach with The Broken and Beautiful. She offers counseling and coaching services locally in our community and online. Patria holds a bachelor's degree in nursing, a completion of certificate in trauma-focused narrative therapy, levels one and two, and completion of externship in trauma-focused narrative therapy, both from the Allender Center, and they do beautiful work there. Welcome, Patria, and thank you so much for agreeing to speak with me. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Thank you so much. Yeah, it's an honor. Is there anything you want to add to those credentials that I listed there? Maybe, uh, I guess, a little bit of explanation of, uh, well, I don't even know what an externship is. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I'd be happy to explain. It is um, the third level of training of, of story work, basically, which is kind of the, the lingo that we use through the Allender Center, or that the Allender Center uses around this work, story work. And it's a lot shorter to say that. And it really has to do with becoming um, fluent in God's story and my story, how they intersect with one another. And... Um, 
and and learning how trauma affects my story and how it affects your story um, and becoming again um, fluent in those in that language and and um, the externship is a small group of people there. I think there were 12 or 13 of us in the group mm. and we had some real individualized teaching with Kathy Lorzell and Trapper Lukert, who Kathy Lorzell is the executive director at the Allender Center and Trapper is one of the founding members as well. And so it was very concentrated um, teaching around the Allender theory, which is um, we have to tell our story as often as we need to tell our story, as long as we need to tell our story until it's processed and we can be present in relationships. Mm. So um, that's a really small nutshell, but that's, that's kind of an overarching picture of, of that work that we do. And it's a three-year program. Um, certificate uh, levels one, two, and the externship is a three-year program. Okay, wow. Yeah, I think we'll get more into story work. Um, yeah, in a bit here. I did mm -hmm. want to ask you, though, because, you know, we're talking about everything that's going on. And, you know, self care is very important right now. You can be distressed from an hour to two days. You know, there's just so, many, so much going on. And so I wanted to talk about the connection between our emotional and spiritual well being. Because some people think that they are two separate things. And I have heard before that not to bring your emotions into it. Like, don't, you don't pay attention to the emotions. But, but God has emotions. And although our emotions are not on the same level as God's, because he knows and sees all in his omnipotence, omniscience, and omnipresence, he also created us in his image with emotions. He has anger, compassion. And scripture says he's jealous. Unlike human jealousy, though, he has a passion for us. And we know God is love. Um, it's such, such an important topic. And it's so relevant to what's happening in our world today on so many levels. And I think I, I would say I grew up in an arena where um, God and faith were talked about like in terms of in an, in an, ex, an intellectual exercise, like we think about God, we know his character. We, we think about him in terms of how, what's true about him, but we don't often talk about the emotional aspect of the, of the image of God and that we are made as we are made in the image of God, we have a full range of emotions. And so if my faith is all, or if my construction of religion, maybe is a better way to say that, is all based upon, um, like, and I'm not saying this is, a, this is a bad thing, but if it's all based upon, I can name attributes of God from A to Z, but I don't, I'm, I don't know what I'm feeling about God or about other people, then my faith is um, really broken and, and maybe not existent. So um, I have heard it said that there's no such thing as emotional intelligence. And I would just say there is nothing that could be more false than that. And some of us, yeah. And some of us are wired 
to be emotion forward people where I think, I think of it like you're either head forward or your heart forward or your gut forward, like body action forward. And some of us are heart forward people. And if we're told that those are bad, that the, that the way we're wired is bad or wrong or whatever, then what, what do I do with that? I have to pretend that I, I turn into a performer uh, or uh, there's, there's a one dimensional way of being with God. And it's just not true because as we know, he's, he's so big that that's what I always just, it sounds like such a young thing to say, but it's just so true. He's so big he's, and he's so true. vast. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we can't even grasp yeah. you know, how big and vast he is. Yes. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I mean, if you think about it, we really focus on God is love and you want that love. You want that feeling of love. You want to feel loved. So emotion to me, it has to be part of the conversation. It has to be part of who God is, especially because scripture says God is love. So I, I don't know how you can even take that away if you're basing it on scripture. Mm. Amen. That's so well said. And, and I was thinking too, while you were talking that um, if our theology about God, like if, if I'm reading scripture and I'm going to church, well, I mean, outside of coronavirus, I'm going to church every week and I'm doing all of the things church wise, but I'm not loving. I'm not, I'm not living a life that's loving, um, whether that's feeling or offering love or both, Mm -hmm. then something's off with my belief. The something's wrong because if Jesus is our perfect example and he lived radically loving, yes. The outcasts, the least of these, right. If that's not coming out in my life, then something's wrong. I don't care how right theology is. If I'm not loving, something's wrong. Mm -hmm. Amen to that. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3 says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, am I only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal? If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. And then, of course, verses four through nine goes into telling us what love and what love isn't. Yeah, I also wanted to talk about you know, some people are struggling in their faith because there's so much going on. Now, some people are able to stand on, okay, God is sovereign. That, that is a, a truth of God. So God mm-hmm. is in control. And other people, though, they're like, well, if God is in control, why is this happening? Why are so many things happening? How do you speak to the suffering that many of us are experiencing? Um, gosh, I just want to first say, I feel so, um, 
uh, ill-equipped to fully answer this question. And I think anybody, I mean, it just brings tears to my eyes to even consider it because anybody that says they can fully answer this question, I think, is not really grappling with the enormity of suffering that we're in. Um, and so I just want to share a couple thoughts that come to my mind, and I would love your feedback on it. Um, one of them is the idea that God is in control. I think that we have to be really mindful of what we mean when we say that. That control, if control means that God influences his people and that he's sovereign and that he ultimately wins, then I say, yes, God is in control. Absolutely. If control means that I get to be passive and not engage with the suffering of people around me, then no, because we control that. We control it. And we have influence over one another. Yeah, I, I believe that I, I'm going to be honest. I think we are in a testing as Christians. I think mm -hmm. that certain things he is allowing to occur to prompt us mm -hmm. to do what we're called to do. And, uh, you know, mm -hmm. I, uh, to be honest, I think a lot of us are failing miserably. Instead of thinking of the next person I can speak to, that I can speak truth into, that I can speak love into, that I can um, help, you know, we're chastising them and daring them and pointing our fingers at them and shaming them. And I, I think God's like, well, yeah, I, that's not what I asked you to do. If we look in his word and if we are to be followers of Christ and to imitate him. Jesus was a loving and generous, truth-talking man while he was here on this earth, displaying the love of his father, God in heaven. I mean, he ate with the centers and he sinners and he engaged with them and was chastised for it by the Pharisees. I'm doing a Bible study, Jesus and women, and she looks at it from a Middle Eastern point of view. So Jesus, Middle Eastern Jesus. And she's working through uh, Matthew 9, 20, I think it's 20 through 22, the woman with the issue of blood. And that woman has been on my mind for the past three weeks. <laughs> and I, when I started this a Bible study, I was like, oh my word, I've been kind of soaking her in because she was in isolation for 12 years. In her time, if you were uh, bleeding past your regular menstruation, you were considered unclean and you were not to engage with anyone. And so, you know, if she had children, she couldn't engage with them. She couldn't engage with anyone. And she was so desperate. You know, she spent money going to doctors for 12 years. She's looking for a cure. And Jesus is coming through town and she thinks to herself, if I could just touch the edge of his cloak or the edge of his robe, I can be healed. And she moves through the crowd to do that. And Jesus felt it, which means he felt her. I think it, scripture says he felt the energy go out of him or he felt the power go out of him. So he knew someone touched him. And when he turned and he asked, you know, his disciples, who touched me? And they're like, oh, all these people here, what do you mean who touched you? And then he saw her. And then the fact that he spoke to her, 
a person who is supposed to be in isolation and considered unclean. And he says to her, daughter, take heart. Your faith has healed you. He spoke to her in a loving way. He did not yell at her. Why are you touching me? You, you know, you're an unclean person. He loved her. And so I, I just I, I just think it's just amazing how we don't we say we want to imitate him, but then we are not fulfilling the words that we speak that we want to do. Amen. I mean, I I was thinking as you were talking that the power went out from him, I think, is mm. the way that that passage says. And like I could like feel the jolt of that while you were talking and how it was so, it was just embodied in him to love. He just loved to the degree that she reached out and the love went out from him. Mm. You know, he didn't have to, oh, yeah, he didn't have to think about whether she was worthy of that love. She was worthy of that love. I mean, mm-hmm. And she had been cast out for 12 years alone, as you said, 12 years. I mean, oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. And I think about with her, I think there was two things. There was a desperation, mm-hmm. but there was also a courage. Oh my gosh. You know, just Can to- you imagine? Yeah. I, <laughs> it is incredible. Oh, it's incredible. Sorry to talk over you. Just no, that she, I was picturing in my mind's eye as you were talking of the people that she had to press through, these people that hated her, that, uh, that cast her out for whatever religious reasons or, you know, quote unquote, good reasons that they had, those are the people that she had to press through to get to Jesus. And her courage is incredible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That transaction is one of my just most deeply favorite ones in all of scripture. It really is. Mm -hmm. For some reason, it had been weighing on me for a while. And I wrote a blog post about it on uh, Holy Loved uh, Ministries website. And then when I had started this Bible study, like a week after I finished that blog post, and I picked up the Bible study, and the woman starts talking about it, I was like, oh my goodness, there's something going on. We got a sisterhood going on here, me and this woman. (laughs) Yeah, so. No kidding. I think the Lord was saying, girl, I got you in this. (laughs) So one, we want to acknowledge the suffering. We want to acknowledge that, yeah, these are very hard times. And these are hurtful times, distressing times. And um, I think it is so important, like people don't want to name it, but I think, as you said with story work, speak it out and name it, name that feeling. And um, I think that that helps. Just name what I'm feeling, how I'm feeling, and that this is hard. But know that he sees you in this. Absolutely, that he sees you. And when you have a, a, a human witness with you who can bear your suffering, it changes everything. It changes everything. When your face will stay with me mm-hmm. when I say I'm suffering. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. It changes everything. And I think of the I think of the the word humility just keeps coursing through my veins. And it's like, it's such a, 
it's like the word control where I feel like it needs so much care and definition around it because it's so misused. It's so misused. And, and I think that humility though is the pathway to redemption. It's, it's will I humble my, myself before you, another face, another person, another story, and say, regardless of where you come from or what you bring with you, I love you, and I want to hear you, and I want to see you. Yes, that your, your voice matters, your story mm-hmm. matters. Yeah. And, um, if you're important to God, you're important to me. Amen. Yeah, yeah. so we are acknowledging that, yes, that suffering is happening. Um, and in that, we know there's so many events that have been stressful and even traumatic. And so talk to us about how trauma affects the body. I've kind of been going through that particular question with my uh, physical self-care when I had a personal trainer and then my mindfulness breathing um, interview that I did. Uh, but then there's so many other, and there's more on stress and chronic stress. But then there's also trauma. And even if we shove certain traumatic instances down or we push it to the back of our mind, that my, our bodies are retaining trauma. So speak to us about trauma and how it affects the body. Yeah. Um, well, I want to first preface that by saying there are so many experts in this field that can offer a tremendous like volumes of good information around the body. And I am coming at this question from the place where I, I often say my body is my last frontier for recovery. It's like, it's, it's like stop and start, um, try and fail to try and regain and recover some agency over my body. And I think that's true for anybody who has trauma because our trauma, as you said, our trauma stores up in our body. It actually stores in our cells. There's uh, research now that shows that it stores generationally in our, so it is passed down generationally. So um, this is such an important aspect of the conversations that we're having today, that it's not a now or, and now and then, it's a now and, and it, it, it's like then is now. It comes with us through our bodies. And so I think of our bodies as faithful friends in the sense that they hold the stories until we can tell them. Mm. And I think for each one of us, it's a different path to opening up the story. But so when a traumatic event happens, there's, there's lots of things that happen in our body, right? There's lots of teaching around fight and flight. And most of us have some information around PTSD and, and the fight or flight responses and even the freeze response. Um, and there's even one more called fawn that's a little less um, known and less talked about, but all of those are responses to trauma and it's stored in our body. Um, our mind has an area, and, and this is, I, I learned this from a book called The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk, um, where he teaches us um, in neuro, 
in neuroscience, we, we know that our, the Broca's area of our brain shuts down in trauma. And it shuts down because our body is supposed to go into action to fight or flight, to flee from trauma. So we literally lose our voice in trauma. We actually lose our language in trauma. So the processing of trauma is to find language. I, I want to add a verb to the link to the dictionary called languaging. We have to language our experiences in order for our bodies to release the trauma. Because when it gets stored up in us, it causes all kinds of things like disease and uh, my, yeah, I mean, anything, anything that's a chronic or even acute illness that doesn't, especially that doesn't have an answer in chemistry or, you know, can't get a blood test or you can't find the lump on a mammogram. Um, the question about, do you have trauma in your story needs to be addressed because it affects our bodies so profoundly. And even those chronic things and, and any kind of disease really could be trauma related, I think mm. is what the research is showing. Mm -hmm. That's interesting when you said that you lose your voice and traumatic experiences. I had heard someone also say once that Satan attacks the voice. Mm. I thought that was, I was like, oh my word. I had not even thought about that before to make you silent. Yes. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I, I was really struck by that. It is such an important, it's such an important piece of trauma is that we lose our voices because so many times, and this happens all the time, if you start really paying attention to this detail of it, and maybe you already are, but it, this happens so much is like, well, you need to say what's wrong. Just tell me what's wrong. Just talk to me about it. Just be an adult and use your words. And it's like, but you can't when you're traumatized and we need to help one another to language the experience of suffering. Sometimes that takes days, weeks, months, years. It, it takes so, so much time sometimes when the trauma is deep and profound, mm -hmm. which by the way can happen in a heartbeat or it can happen over time, deep and profound trauma. Um, and we need someone who will sit with our face for however long it takes for the language to come. And sometimes we have to language it for one another. And that's, that's the problem with coming and saying, well, you just need to tell me what's wrong. I mean, oh my gosh. <laughs> it's then double trauma and then it's even pushed further down and I, I can't access it even more. And it's just trauma upon trauma upon trauma. That's interesting. I remember um, I was listening to something. It was a podcast. I can't remember whose it was, but there was a man discussing his depression and he was in very deep, deep depression. And he said he had people that would come to his house and, you know, sometimes they would cook a meal. Sometimes mm -hmm. they would just sit in the chair. He had a, a friend that would sit in the chair next to him and she would just knit. She wouldn't say a word. She'd just sit there and knit. And um, he said that he thought that was the most beautiful thing that she, like, no one forced him to speak about it. They just showed up. And he, he said, that's how I knew that people cared for me. They just showed up. And yes. so I thought that is, I mean, something like he, they didn't ask him any questions. We're just here. 
we're just here for you. So whenever he was ready to speak, he was able to. Yeah. So, so he wasn't a, so he wasn't alone. Exactly. He wasn't alone. But there was no demand on him right. to be more than he could be in the moment. It mm. was just, we are here for you. And it's an unspoken. Unspoken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's talk about how this trauma, we talked about how it affects the body. Let's talk about how it, ta- it affects the spirit. And again, it, 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 what comes to my mind is that defining what spirit means and it, and depending on who you ask, you're going to get all kinds of different, you know, interpretations of that. What I think we're talking about, you tell me if, if um, you have different thoughts about it. Um, I think we're talking about that part of us that's connected to God, that's connected to him, that is in, in alive and awake when we accept Christ and we, we are given the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so the spirit is that part of us that communes with God. Mm-hmm. That's the way that I think of it, that once was dead and is now alive when we're believers in Christ. Yeah. And so I think that um, far more learned theologians than I could not give a concise answer about that. And so I'll just share again my thoughts about it, that we get really um, stuck or, or like we, we get wedged in around this idea of spirit and safety around it to the degree that when then I'm in a conversation with someone who is maybe being venomous toward me or, or maybe um, doing something that I, I believe is sinful, then we get wedged in around our spirit and we're not free flowing to offer love out of that spirit. I don't know if that even makes sense, but it's the, the thought that comes to my mind is that if my spirit is connected to God, then there should just be this free flow of love that comes in and out with no impeding. I mean, like, obviously we all have sin and, and there's in, impediments there, but the idea is it's, it's him. And I, I have nothing to lose or I have nothing to lose only to gain by allowing his love to flow through me. And I don't know if that's even answering your question, but that's just kind of where my mind went. Well, I do think that trauma can affect your spirit in a way that, mm-hmm. um, like you said, there's an impediment there. Mm-hmm. And I think it does stop you from offering grace and um, love and displaying respect uh, to one another, dignity. I think it, I think it does impede. And I think that sometimes, sometimes that trauma can come out as anger and sometimes it comes out as sadness um, and then sometimes it comes out to me as doubt, you know, mm-hmm. spirits, not, I'm, I'm not as connected to God as I once was, or as much as I think I should be. I'm, I'm, there's a disconnection there. There's something that's not right. And um, I've experienced that myself. And that's when I knew I had to make a change and I had to take a break. I had to reintroduce myself to God and I had to 
allow him to reintroduce himself to me and um, and a lot of quiet time and a couple of retreats that I went to, a silent retreat. And so it just does just a changing of connection and trauma to me can make you disconnected. And okay. at the time, at the time, I didn't even realize I had been through a traumatic experience. I, I, did, I didn't even equate it as trauma until once I made the change, I started seeing, I was like, oh my goodness, this went on and this, and it was just so many layers and layers. And then I actually felt better. I was like, okay, that's why I was disconnected. That's why there was a disconnection there because I had felt that trauma. Go ahead. Yes. I mean, I, you can see me, I'm like about to jump out of my seat. I'm so, so agreeing with you. I, the picture in my mind is, is like of a light switch turning off when trauma happens. And if like, if the lights are turned off, I, I might be afraid. I might be doubtful that I'll, I might be hopeless or doubtful that I'll ever find a way out. Um, and it is, it is a, it's a, a ter- it's actually a terrifying experience, but we don't often know it's terror. And, and so we try to explain it through all these other means. And, and it isn't as if like we're, we're apart from him because when we're saved, we're with him, but there's something that impedes my experience of him and trauma absolutely affects that deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just wish I could say that over and over. Like, yes, trauma impedes that connection, that sense, that felt sense of God's presence. And it's his presence that we need. Mm-hmm. It's knowing that he's here that makes the light switch back on and make us feel hopeful and feel love and then be able to offer it back out. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I would say... Um, we mentioned that some people might be angry at God right now because of everything going on and what they're experiencing. How do you respond when people say they're angry at God? Honestly, my first response is there's lots to be angry about right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's sometimes me too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and oftentimes me too. And, and sometimes it's like, uh, what what exactly are you doing, God? And could you just give us a hint every now <laughs> every now and again? Um, could you give us a hint? And so I think that my my main point is, of course we're angry. What else would we be? He's he's angry too. Yeah, I think that. Um, well, first of all, I think he's big, so he can take it. He can take you being angry with him and you are his child. And sometimes my children become angry with me. So, (laughs) you know, it's not, I don't think this is new to him as actually, as we know, it's not new to him. Uh, You know, a lot of prophets were pretty ticked off at him every once in a while. You know what I mean? They're like, really? Why do you want me to go do this? Like, why do I have to be the one? Why are you selecting me? (laughs) Yes. he can handle the anger and I think he would, he, I think he wants you to express it because he says so many times in scripture, how we cry out to him. Yes. Well, 
what else would we be but angry right now? I mean, I think that our journey is being angry at the things he's angry at, right? And like lining shoulder to shoulder with him in a sense and being angry at what he's angry at. But it has to start with the warmth and the energy of, I am so angry at you, God, for allowing this. It has to start there. I mean, if your kids can't come to you and say, um, you know, I, I have a story about my daughter that sh she knows I tell, and, and she's, I hope she's okay with it. Um, but she was about 11 years old, and, and she stood up on, she got up on our steps so she could be eye level with me. And I can't remember exactly what the inciting incident was, but she like put her fists straight at her side and she, and she yelled at the top of her lungs, which is really not a typical response for her, but she yelled, I hate you. And, and as I held that space for her, and I said, honey, I know, I know you do. And I love you. Even in your hate, I love you. Uh, she moved through that moment. And if we can't have that relationship with God, where we can come with our fists clenched and, and our arms straight at our side and angry at him, then what, what kind of relationship do we have with him? Mm -hmm. Is it real? Because we ought to be angry and he can take it. He is big. He's really big. And he's never, I always think he's never biting his nails, wondering what to do with, with his angry children. He just isn't ever, that's not him. Yeah, because he already knows anyway. He knows you're angry anyway. Yeah. Hard. And yes. um, now, although my daughter, she would have never said that to me. I hate you because. <laughs> uh, yeah, but anyway, <laughs> she has expressed <laughs> disappointment and frustrations yeah. you know and uh yeah at, there were some times where I would allow her to express that but sometimes I would just say you know you can you can say things to me as long as you do it in a respectful way and right. sometimes that would cause them to step away go to their room you know throw things around if they need to whatever before they had the conversation with me and that's fine too it mm -hmm. was fine too because I I get that and then they would come back and they'd say, okay, well, I was upset because you did this or you said this or you treated me this way. And um, I chose to, even if I didn't like what they said, I chose to still listen. You know, even if it was hurtful to me, I said, well, this is how they're feeling. I'm going to listen. And then uh, if I needed to step away <laughs> and say, okay, well, we'll come back for this conversation then we did that. But yeah, I had to, to a certain extent, allow them to express themselves and their frustration um, because I, I wanted them to feel like they could come to me. And so, you know, God is our father. I think he's the same way, you know, he wants you to come to him. And, um, but, but like I said, I, I may not, I may know that my kids are angry by a certain look on their face or, you know, the way they walk to their room or whatever in that instance he knows we're angry because he knows our heart and he wants us to come to him and engage and commune and express our feelings so that he can comfort us amen he wants to comfort and so um yeah i think it's okay if you're feeling that way and it's understandable 
And I also just would add to that, that anger is a secondary emotion, mm-hmm. right? Meaning that it is in standing in front of hurt or injustice or embarrassment or shame or those more sadness. tender or sadness. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and so God is never offended about anger. He, he is not offended. Well, I should say he's never, not never offended about anger. I think that there is anger that's malice and wrath that is offensive to him. Right. But, but anger that's true and honest and in response to injustice, he doesn't offend him. That's not offensive to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you're grappling with anger due to all that's happening in the world and in your own life, Offer it to God. Don't hold on to it. A Bible verse from the message. I've been reading that version of the Bible lately. Well, in Ephesians 4, 26 through 27, it says, Go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry. But don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. Just a few instances of people in the Bible who express frustration, anger, anxiety, depression, and even bitterness were David in Psalm 42.11, Elijah in 1 King 19.4, uh, verse 4, Job chapter 3, uh, Jeremiah in 20 and 18, and of course Naomi in Ruth uh, 1.20 through 21. But they also remembered God's faithfulness, the promises he made, and what God had done in the past. And this might be a time of refinement, uh, to paraphrase from Zechariah 13.9. And speaking of the Israelites, he talks about being put into the fire to refine like silver and gold. He says that we will call out his name and he will answer us and that we are his people and we will say the Lord is our God. Join us for part two of uh, on episode nine of our discussion on emotional and spiritual self-care or soul care. As we consider the importance of our story, especially in this time, you can find Patria's information and the link for the Broken and Beautiful website in the show notes. I've also listed links in my to my blog post on uh, faith and healing amid turmoil on holyloved.com. That's W-H-O-L-L-Y-L-O-V-E-D.com. And links to the Allender Center, uh, a Bible study that I'm currently engaging uh, titled Jesus and Women in the First Century and Now by Christy McClellan. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your pods. Connect with me on Instagram at Rebrina Rettle and my Getting Real Immersed in Truth podcast Facebook page. The podcast is produced by me, Rebrina, and Handcrafted Studios. Original music by Handcrafted Studios composer Michael Coffey. For more information on this topic and to find encouragement in these trying times, check out a few sites and podcasts that deal with these issues on a deeper level that I've put into the show notes. Uh, I put quite a bit there. Um, Hopefully you can find it resources helpful for you. But until next time, take care of yourself and each other and keep your grit up by getting real while immersed in truth.